Today's guest, Rob D. Willis, is relatively new to the world of training and development. For nearly 10 years, Rob had been working as a tour guide in Berlin, in Germany, and in that role developed his communication skills and public speaking. So when COVID struck back in February 2020, Rob had to, like the rest of us, pivot fast. Gone were the public tours and the accompanying revenue streams from guiding people around Berlin. So what to do? Well, Rob knew that Berlin has a large number of fast-growing tech firms, and through client conversations, Rob has discovered a niche or a need for typically technical companies to improve their internal communication with non-technical audiences. In today's episode, listen in as Rob tells us how he chose his training niche, where Rob got his first customers, who his ideal consulting clients are, which kinds of brands... Uh, how Rob markets his training business these days and where he's looking to take his business next. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark, and it's my privilege to host another episode of the Training Business Podcast. Every single Thursday, without fail, we have a combination of inspiration and information. We've got episodes where it's just you and I, or we have a guest on the show sharing tips and strategies from their training business journey. And this is really what the show is all about. If you're someone just like me, who is a coach, a facilitator, a consultant, a trainer, and you want to find out what's happening from your peers or experts in the, the world of training and development, then this is the podcast for you. And you'll find episodes of the show, past, present, and future, on your podcast platform of choice, whether it's Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, something else out there. Every Thursday, without fail, there is an episode lined up for you. Please click on subscribe because this helps to validate what I do, what my team does, and of course, tells us what is valuable to you and helps us to know what to bring more of through the podcast every single Thursday. As I mentioned before the music, today's guest is Rob D. Willis. He's relatively new to the world of training and development, and it's always great to speak to people on the beginning a curve of their journey, and I think you'll get lots from today's episode. Rob, hi, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark, nice to be here. You're based in Berlin, right? In Germany. Yep, I've been living here about 14 years now. Yeah, and your your background is, well, you're English speaking, just like me. What's it been like to establish your business in a jurisdiction or a country where your first language is not that language. One thing I'll say is that, but the people I work with in Berlin are, are often not English, but also not German either. Berlin became a very multicultural, multinational city, and a lot of tech decided to to found here. And I found that being the English speaker has almost been an advantage in some ways because people think, well, we'd like to be trained by someone who is actually a native speaker. So from a marketing point of view, it, it can actually help. Uh, in the sessions, it means that you have an extra layer of insecurity from the participants, uh, worrying about the level of their English and whether they'll sound silly when they speak up. So that gives you a uh, strength in a way. They look to you as someone who knows something definitely more than they do. Yes. And 
I'd also say that it, it's more the perspective that I have as an English speaker, because I think that people have this notion that I'm listening to them and picking out all of their mistakes because this is their perspective. This is what they're saying. And that's not what's happening at all. People will say, oh, my English is so bad. I hope that was okay. But in reality, I didn't notice anything wrong with it at all. So it's about showing that to a native speaker, they sound absolutely fine in almost all cases. And just giving that security that this is coming from someone who is a native speaker, I guess. So Berlin definitely is 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 um, very international, I would say. It's, it's a huge hub for tech companies. So lots of training development requirements in Berlin. I actually was there for a week uh, this summer. I lived for nearly five years in Germany. But I never actually dared to deliver training in German because, as I'm sure you'd agree, it's one thing to speak the language. It's something else to deliver training or skill development in that language. Yeah, um, I would never want to give a workshop in German, not only because of the level of the language. I can make myself understood and have a conversation and do work in German, but communication skills, presentation is very culturally nuanced. And whilst in English, we're used to speaking to non-native speakers a great deal. So it's, I would say, a little bit more flexible in how you would approach communication. German is much more native speaker oriented. And there is a cultural way that they'll not only phrase things, but also the kind of content that they will communicate and what they'll talk about. So I, I, w- I have turned down a lot of training in German because I did not feel I was equipped to deliver it, particularly about communication. And it's one thing which I've noticed, in fact, in my experience, is when people have approached me and said, hey, can you run this? Um, we're looking for trainers to run a particular program in a particular country, in a particular part of the world. The fact that you can deliver that in another language is a huge differentiator. So you have to be careful, though. But let's get back to basics here. You're in Germany. You're there for personal reasons. You live there. Um, Your business is in presentation skills, communication training for leaders, and your brand is Rob D. Willis Public Speaking. Um, You're relatively new to the world of training. I mean, you're a lot younger than I am. How long are you in the business exactly? Uh, I've been doing about two years now. And when I started two years ago, I was still in my old job as a tour guide and actually doing pretty well. I was one of the most in-demand guides in Berlin. But then at the beginning of 2020, something happened and suddenly my tours were taken away. And I was forced into this very, very intense period of having to quickly find out what would work for me as a corporate trainer. And I was lucky in that I had something I was already working on and was able to um, focus on it. But that intense few months of not knowing how I was able to provide for myself, I think was one of the things that really got me to a stage that I'm making a living out of it and my business is growing. And I think that's been the catalyst for many people. COVID has sparked imagination. It's sometimes out of necessity. We've had to reinvent ourselves. And I'm always curious how people come to training. So I spoke to a guy called Robert Eikenberry uh, last week, and he left Chevron um, in sales and marketing, a huge US corporation, to become a trainer. 
other people I've had on the show have become trainers as a result of their experience as teachers, and they take those transferable skills. So you worked as a tour guide for a number of years. And in that time, I guess you were using skills which helped you to develop confidence, speaking in front of people. Any other skills? I'm curious, I suppose, about what sparked the the idea of training and development from, from tour guide with having given 3,000 tours to 100,000 people plus, according to your LinkedIn profile. What, what made you feel that um, training was the thing for you? I guess I was getting interested in what worked and what didn't as a tour guide because I had this one metric which I could follow uh, which was how much money I was was making I was working solely for tips and actually had to pay to give the tours so I had the capacity to lose money if it if it didn't go well and so I tracked precisely everything that I did like my average intake for every single tour over those um, 3,000 tours and I would work out what would make people more generous, less generous? What would give people that sense of value? And I became fascinated in how communication really works when I was not only performing and engaging them, but also that building rapport when you were talking to people individually. And I cannot point my finger to the precise moment that I thought trainer would be the right path for me. But at some point along the line, I thought these are skills that I can teach to other people. And I met a wonderful public speaking coach called Olivia Schofield, uh, who also lives and works here in Berlin. And her focus is purely the public speaking element. And I thought, well, that looks like a cool job. I want to I wanna do what she does. Uh, but then when I got into it, I thought, okay, public speaking is one aspect I find interesting, but there are other things as well. Um, things that a leader will need to do around listening, understanding, and also strategically picking how they communicate at any one moment. Okay, so you were inspired by, from the sound of things, another trainer, and you that that role resonated with you. Um, how did you get your first clients? Where did you where did you get those those first opportunities from? <laughs> I bothered lots of people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, uh, yeah, it really was a numbers game as it often is, I think, at the very beginning and probably annoyed a few people as I was just going to every single person I could think of who might need my skills to try and find some way into this industry. Uh, But once you have that lucky break, then that can open up other avenues, which are obviously much better. Like now recommendations are the thing that, that get me clients. And moving forward, there are other avenues. But at first, it was really just bothering lots of people because I had no idea where to start. And had you any referrals initially? I mean, was anyone in, in, say, your family or immediate contacts willing to give you a chance in exchange for just training but no, no money? I mean, people have done that before. I gave a couple of workshops for with some friends. It was something we did. It was not for a company. It was an open event that we did. And I helped out in that to really just get the experience of of training. And I also did some some coaching work to help out some other friends, uh, which I usually did in exchange for help with things they could help me with. Uh, So they would help me with my marketing, my branding, that, that sort of 
side and I would help them because they needed to talk at a particular event. So it was those early swaps at the very beginning. But my first real, in inverted commas, workshop with a company uh, was essentially obtained through chance that I happened to send a message to the right person on the day that they were looking for someone with my skills. Okay. So you mentioned marketing. How do you market your business right now? Like As mentioned a little bit earlier, the moment recommendations does a good job on its own, but it is a limited um, source of, of clients. So I had to think a little bit about what I wanted to achieve. I tried out things like Google Ads and that didn't bring the kind of clients I, I really wanted to work with. So I had a, a big think, a, a long period where I, I s- tried to work out what I actually want to achieve in this business. And I don't want to be just a trainer that teaches this skill. I would like to be a thought leader in the realm of leadership communication. So the long-term strategy is through developing and publishing my ideas it's great because it makes me more idiosyncratic, but it's also very, very slow. It's the work of a, of a lifetime. And short term, outreach is still a method, but I have the ability now to be much more targeted. I know the kind of people I need to talk to. And I also understand ways that even if they don't need my services at that moment, which is highly likely, uh, I'm still able to give them something which will give them some value. And through continuing to release and developing my voice, that means my name will remain in their head. So when they do need someone with my skills, they'll be able to to reach out then. So it's, I guess, thought leadership and targeted outreach. So you just said uh, that you understand now the kinds of people that you need to um, contact to work with, to use my words, paraphrasing that. Um, who is your ideal customer then? Uh, you're clear on on who they are, what their industry is, and what their needs are. So, what are those for you specifically? Well, as I'm sure you've you found, sometimes your participants are not the same as your clients. Your clients will be the people who book you, and very often that will be L and D departments, or it might be a director or a, or, or a C level. These people may not take part in the training. It's better if they do, but um, often not. But the the kind of clients I work with and work best with are in those high growth tech companies. And I I found that that's where my skills have really been needed most, I think. Okay. So if we think of the, you've mentioned a couple of brands on your LinkedIn profile, HelloFresh, for example. Berlin, in my experience, is a very uh, tech-driven city. Do you, would you say that you gravitate towards any particular vertical or industry, uh, pharmaceuticals, legal, uh, government? What what have you, I, I suppose by this stage, I'm asking, clarified what your sweet spot is in terms of the ideal client profile? Yeah. So I would say my ideal clients are those digital native tech companies that are between five and 10 years old. So they're getting to a stage where they've got a few hundred employees yet they still need to remain fast. I mean, that's the thing about tech. It's all about speed. And if you're too slow, then your competitor will beat you. But they are beginning to get this bureaucracy and it's beginning to get slow to get information from one part to another and decision-making decision making becomes a bit more challenging. And so that's why I focused on, on that kind of scale. 
Um, and I, I love, I mean, I'm very passionate about technology and I understand that there is hugely com complex material that people, engineers, technicians need to be able to communicate to someone with far less experience than them in that particular field. Like an executive doesn't know as much about coding as the coder. So it's about getting those different departments to talk to each other. So you've mentioned that what one of the things that you do is help, let's say, a a scaling organization, which was previously small, agile, it's now entering into a phase of bureaucracy. How did you develop the programs that actually hit the mark then and help companies to overcome these kinds of challenges? Ooh, uh, developing the programs. Um, again, this has been something which has come through necessities. So at the beginning, I followed what everyone else did, which were those day programs, two-day programs. But then that wasn't possible through COVID. And suddenly we needed to compress everything. And I saw that a day online is not going to be any fun at all. But then I also realized that actually, when I gave those daily uh, programs or two-day programs, people would enjoy it. They would feel motivated, but they wouldn't really apply anything. So that process of seeing how the world changed under COVID made me think, okay, now we need to space this over a period of a number of weeks. I, I find six weeks about, about the sweet spot. And there has been a, a, a level that I've transcribed what I did before, but also I try and experiment and try new exercises out as often as possible with new people in different settings. Not so much that I'm ever shooting in the dark, but enough that I can keep refining my process over time. Right. Okay. How are you getting feedback from customers? Is it coming some uh, through proactive outreach, or is this something that uh, they're giving you uh, on off their own bat? Well, I find that a lot of L and D departments collect feedback, but they have a real challenge in getting people to fill the form in. Okay, so we're talking about happy sheets here, this kind of level one yeah, feedback. Yeah, yeah, happy okay. sheets. And, and also I find there are challenges with some of the metrics that they collect. Like I realized that NPS scores, um, net promoter scores, really said more about whether people liked me than how effective the training was. So one thing I've started doing, which I copied from our mutual friend Murray, is in the final session, I get people to tell a story about a time they were able to apply one of the skills from the program and what the business impact of that was. And it gets people, first of all, thinking throughout the program, how am I going to apply this stuff? So I have that story to tell at the very end. And it also means you've got a far more business-focused window into how your skills are, are actually being used. Another thing I like to do is if it's a, a coaching program, like I, someone works with me for a sustained period of time, I will have a reflection session where we'll talk through what they were able to get out of working with me and, again, what the impact of it was. Uh, but as far as collecting quantitative data, um, apart from asking what the L&D departments are doing, um, I've not found the sweet spot for being able to really measure yet. Yeah, it's a tricky one um, because the the 
thing that happens a lot, at least used to happen to me a lot, was that the feedback I would get would be, as we mentioned, happy sheet feedback where people fill in this form, which often asks all kinds of questions like, was the room warm enough? Uh, were you happy with the, uh, the setup of the facilities? Which is nothing to do with the training at hand. Um, what we actually need, I think, as, as training providers is to be more involved in shaping what feedback is gathering and be involved in that design process of, of evaluation. But often we're not, and we leave it to other people, particularly L&D, to say, well, these are the things we're going to ask on the form. But you actually then end up finding out that um, this doesn't help you know whether what you've just done over six weeks or a couple of days has actually served any business purpose. And the consequence, of course, is that when we go to um, try and get more clients in this industry or in this uh, sphere that we have people then saying to us, well, what did you actually get from this training? What did they get from the training? Okay, they liked you, but what actually did that shift or move in terms of the business? And you can't say because you've uh, nothing concrete. So w- what are your thoughts as you've listened to yourself, just talk this through out loud, what are your thoughts on how you would like to be involved more in, in shaping what kind of feedback that you get. So one, it confirms that what you've done is valid, has been useful. But two, it helps you to leverage that feedback to attract more uh, clients. Absolutely. No, you've hit the nail on, on the head. But it does require a shift, I think, in company culture about how they see the L&D role. Because it is possible to collect real business metrics. Uh, For instance, I was delivering a a large department-wide training program, and I was doing my discovery interviews. I was talking to a few members of the team at different levels to see what their challenges were. I had an interesting conversation with one person on the technical team who said that at least 70% of the tickets that were issued to their department had clarifying questions. And that led to this amount of wasted productivity. Like it was very easy to measure that. So a great communication program would reduce the number of clarifying questions that that were needed. Now, that would have been a very easy thing to measure. But as an external trainer, it would be very hard to go to the head of the department and say, let me measure this because people are quite guarded with information sometimes. And also, I feel that even if I was an internal stakeholder, if I was the L&D manager, um, to be asked for information would be, to ask for information rather from the head of the department would still be a difficult ask because I don't see very often the culture that, um, L and D have access to that kind of information, so it 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 requires it's possible, but it means that we need to start sharing more information with training providers and learning professionals. And I think you've, if I can use the expression back to you, you've hit the nail on the head as well. And it's that very often the people who commission training are not necessarily the people who understand the implication of that training. So someone in the business requests through L&D or HR um, a training provider and a program from that provider, but they're not necessarily clear on what actually that change will affect as a result of the program. 
So in a way, we have to be very good at not just talking to people who ask for us for training, but also the people who will enjoy the benefits of the training, which means finding some kind of path to the people who run that department from which the people come. Not always easy. Um, so I think there's another episode at some point in the future of how we can shape that conversation to educate our customers, to help us, to help them. But if we don't have that conclusive feedback, which confirms that what we've done has provided real change, um, it's very hard then to extract from that the kind of the meat, if you will, which we can use then to attract more clients. Because it's really important as training providers that we're able to say, someone asked us to do something, the challenge, this is what we did, the program, and these are the results we got. And therefore, we can do the same for you. Let me just pull you back, though, to something you've just said, because I think for most people, when we think of working with communication or a presentation skills trainer, we literally think of presentation skills. We think of public speaking. But what you've just alluded to is is very interesting, actually, almost like a niche within communication training, which is the inefficiencies that happen in organizations, in everyday conversations, uh, meetings, uh, submissions, briefing notes, written communication, verbal communication, and the kind of um, the breaks or the the slowness, if you will, that happens when organizations don't communicate properly, clearly, cleanly, internally. I think that's a massive uh, area of interest so let's talk about that for a second. What what actually made you or helped you to stumble on this idea of, hey, I'm not just going to talk about presentation skills standing up, but actually the inbuilt inefficiencies between teams, classic example is technical talking to business, for example, or anyone with a scientific or technical bent talking to anyone who's not technical or scientific. What Where did you see the opportunity for a training product or service in that I think a lot of it came from talking to people I was coaching and hearing their frustrations and realizing that they're not just giving presentations the whole time. And and if I want to actually help them in some way, I'm going to have to shape more than just how they put a presentation together. Uh, I was working with one guy who works in business intelligence, I believe, and he was trying to align a finance and a marketing team and realized that actually they had different ways of interpreting the word revenue. And it's such a central term for both of those departments that it was creating a massive inaccuracies in in the data that was being collected and meant that things weren't working as well as they could. So partly it's just talking to people seeing what they're saying about their everyday work and realizing it's not just about performing and engaging an audience. But also I myself grew more interested in uh, things like sales and negotiation, which are really more about listening than about speaking. And I realized that even to give a good presentation, it's more important what I've understood beforehand about the audience in order to shape my message before I even go on stage. So it's a combination of listening to clients and my own development of interests, I'd say. I think that's very perceptive of you because uh, um, yesterday I worked with a client in Edinburgh and the people on the program were asked every single month to present uh, papers to a steering committee or steerco as they call them. And uh, it's interesting that that exact topic came up. Highly technical people giving too much information 
and creating confusion because the people on the receiving end of the information only actually wanted information to help them make decisions. They did not want chapter and verse on how this works and what's changed here and why that's not doing what it should do this time. So I think that for people listening, that's a massive um, I th- area of of of, um, of breakthrough in thinking is that if you're thinking of presenting information to people or selling yourself as a communication trainer, are you coming across to your clients as someone who just helps people to do public speaking or make presentations internally? Or are you focusing on the value of listening and the consequence and cost to a business of not listening? Because I think, Rob, as I'm listening to you, this is something that that, that um, appears to be something that you'll be doing for a while to come. If you, if you can work with those clients you talked about, Berlin tech companies who unwittingly, unintentionally create confusion internally as those companies grow, if you can help companies like that to clarify their communication, clean it up so... Uh, information flows between diverse aspects of the business that could be a massive um, niche for you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just going back to what you said about public speaking coaches, like there are people who will focus on that. And I think that they are very valuable for certain kinds of people. I know that in order to build a personal brand, in order to sell your book, you need to be able to give those those presentations you need to tell your story and so on. But yet yeah, the hope is, of course, that I'm able to latch on to a specific need of my chosen audience, which are people working in tech in high growth companies or in any company, really, that's getting slowed down by bureaucracy. And I'm hoping it's also an area where I'll not only be able to train, but also contribute to the thoughts about how we even approach this. So you mentioned book and you just mentioned being a thought leader and contributing to thought. Have you a plan to produce content in any format like a book or course, online course? I have had a love-hate relationship with content creation <laughs> in my in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, it's one of those things that one has always felt pressured to do, but I up till recently did not quite see how I wanted to do it. So right now I'm focused mostly on producing smaller pieces of content and talking to people and understanding them. And I'm a big fan of a, a he's a writing coach called David Perel. And he has this notion called the pyramid of ideas, where we constantly share and refine our ideas over, over time through tweets, through a blog article, through a video, up to the stage where you're at actually writing a book. And by that stage, you've got your ideas so refined, you've tested them so much that you really know that it's going to be of value to people. So I'm, I think, nearer the bottom of the pyramid right now. I'm not going to jump into writing a book quite yet, but it's definitely the end goal for sure. Yeah, that's David Perel, uh, founder of Rite of Passage. I've seen a couple of his videos on YouTube. Okay, so that kind of wraps it up today. Um, Rob, where can people find out more about you and your brand? It's best just to come to my website, robdwillis.com. Willis spelt like Bruce. Uh, or you can uh, follow me on LinkedIn. I'll be sharing stuff every single day there. Um, Rob Willis, look forward to meeting you. Okay, thanks for your time, Rob. Thank you, Mark. My sincere thanks to Rob. 
And you can find out more about Rob by visiting his website, which is robdwillis.com. I'll provide today's show notes over at trainingbusiness.com. You can check out the episode there or, of course, on your podcast platform of choice, wherever you are. Past, present and future episodes of the show are waiting for you. Please subscribe because this allows us to give you a heads up of ideas and episodes as they come out. And you can find, of course, some content, valuable content on trainingbusiness.com. Please email me if you've got ideas for the kinds of content and episodes which have been useful to you thus far. And you can email me personally, which is mark at trainingbusiness.com. I read emails individually and reply personally. If you've got some question about your training business practice, please let me know. If I can help you, I will, and I will do that in confidence and discretion with discretion. Until next Thursday, when I look forward to your company, please come back, subscribe, and keep listening and tell other people about the show because there are lots of people out there who really need help with developing and pivoting and growing their business and scaling their business, people just like you and me. Until next Thursday, look after yourself, keep training, keep going. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.